This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome, everyone, to the New Books Network and the Urban Studies section of that network. And we have today, if there's anybody who we can say is an urbanite, a city person, born and bred in the Bronx, now living in Manhattan, it's our author today, Lily Cologne. And not exactly your typical um, academic book. Uh, Lily, Lily's book is titled, um, uh, um, and Lily Cologne, Lily, the first Latina rocket. Not exactly on everybody's academic reading list, but boy, I think it should be, above all. Uh, and, and if I might say that this is a Cinderella story, everyone knows that, but it's much more than Cinderella. It's really in the tradition of, 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 of Charles Dickens, and, um, but it's more than that. This is a Hispanic coming-of-age story in the Bronx, culminating in what, what I think is a remarkable end, uh, high-kicking uh, with, with Radio City Musical, but much more, I think, a discovery of family and self within the Latin community. Lily Colon, uh, welcome to the New Books Urban Studies section. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. I am honored to be here since I'm not um, academic. <laughs> well, I think if you do a good job, Lily, we'll give you an honorary PhD. Uh, they're pretty, but in, in, in the absence of that, we've got to get to the high kicking. Now, let, let's start with the, uh, this is the most bewildering story. Uh, we don't hear about orphans much anymore. And you really weren't an orphan, but you spent, my goodness, about 15 years of your, of your life, of childhood life, in an orphanage, orphanage in the Bronx. <laughs> um, tell us about that. You've got to, and you can talk as long as you walk about this fantastic story about how you were an orphan and weren't an orphan, and how do you get to be an orphan? <laughs> really? I know it is kind of a, um, a strange story because you don't hear about orphanages in New York City. 
you know, in the urban areas. You usually hear them in Ireland and other wonderful, beautiful countryside places, not like where I was raised. Um, I did go. I was born originally into the projects in the Bronx, Eden Wall Projects on 229th Street. And um, I went on at three years old. My father decided to disband the entire family and um, sent me to an orphanage to live. Now, the orphanage was um, the summer home of the Kennedys. So it was their summer home that they used to use before they uh, before president before um, Lieutenant Joseph P. Kennedy died. And then they turned it into an orphanage for children in his honor. And um, it was originally supposed to be for to help families reunite, get them back on uh, their feet, and then reunite with their children. But that didn't happen to me. They kind of left me there the entire time. And I didn't find out until I was 17 and a half that I wasn't allowed to be adopted or fostered. My father would not sign papers for that. So there I sat. <laughs> 15 years. Was it 15 years, Lily? It was 15 years. What? Now, it isn't as though you were without brothers and sisters. There were um, two brothers and a sister. Yes, there were. And a mother and a father. Right. And, right. and you really weren't an orphan because you had a mother, a father, and brothers and sisters, didn't you? At least the mother and father. Correct. What what happened? What happens to a family like that? Why? Uh, you know, I, it just probably was too overwhelming for my father, and he couldn't handle it. So I I, I don't know exactly know why, because he never really spoke to me. Um, but what he did was um, he sent my mother to a mental institution. At that time, they were allowed to. Um, to take their wives and send them to uh, mental institutions and, and admit them. But um, I never really thought that she was really sick. That's not how I saw her. But how he got her in there was he accused her of almost killing him with a knife, and therefore they sent her away. Um, and I did have two other brothers who lived in the in the home with me, and... Um, my younger brother of the two brothers and I went to the orphanage. My older brother, oh, my, and then my sister was born after that. And she was given to a neighbor and the neighbor raised her when she was an infant. And, um, and so that separation was completely done at that point. Um, my brother Abraham was old enough to not have to go to an orphanage. So he got to stay home which wasn't to my father's liking. He was like, oh, no, no. How do I get rid of them, him now? So um, he kicked him out of the house. And the lady who took my sister in took him in and uh, for a few years. And then he went off to Vietnam and ended up getting killed in Vietnam. Okay. And all of this takes place... By the time you entered the orphanage, how old are you? About three and a half, four, not even four years old. No, I was three still. Yeah, yeah. that's why I invoked Charles Dickens. And you're yes. going to spend the next 11 years under the tender care administrations of in a, a beautiful estate. Was it? Was it a beautiful? 
Beautiful. Yeah, it was a beautiful estate. When we first drove up, that big wooden door with the yes. brass knocker on it, I was like, oh, this is beautiful with stained glass windows mm. and flowers and just beautiful. It was beautiful. Oh, I, I can hardly wait for the movie version. <laughs> Uh, it was. I mean, just when walking in and, you know, the nun opened up the door. Mother yes. Sophia, and then you see this beautiful red carpet with a, a huge portrait of Lieutenant Joseph B. Kennedy. And um, it was just gorgeous. It, it was really it looked like royalty, really, when I walked in. Um, I couldn't believe what I was seeing because I had never experienced something like that. Now, now Lily, uh, I'm a Jewish kid from Brooklyn myself. And I'll tell you, we don't actually, we don't see many nuns in habits anymore, do we? But by no. golly, when I was growing up, I was scared of nuns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of people were. I were. And so you were raised, and you have to give us a sense, if you could, give us a sense of what it's like to be in a Roman Catholic charitable institution in what, the 1970s, uh, 60s? 50s, 50, 60s, 50, 60s, 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 
there was no distinction, which I think today is is actually more beautiful because there were, we were just orphans. We weren't black or white or Asian or anything like that. We were all orphans. And we never even spoke or thought about color or race or anything while we were there, which I thought I think is a, a much nicer way to live because now everything is so divided that um, I didn't see that growing up. That's um, so that was that was a blessing, was it? Was yes. it not? They, I think so. they didn't teach you much about how to cope with the outside world, with boys, with men, with menstruation, did they? Uh, with anything? Oh, no, like? no. Oh, no, 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 no. None of that was ever spoken about, talked about. Nothing. I did notice one girl, uh, one of my good friends in the orphanage, her crying one day, and I was like, "Why are you crying?" And she said. I'm pregnant and I have to go. And I went, pregnant? First of all, what is pregnant? Second of all, (laughs) how do you get pregnant? (laughs) So I didn't know any of those things because it was never, ever spoken about. So this this is not just, this is not 20th century America in some ways. It's it's 19th and 18th and 17th century um, virginity and, um, and, something that is uh, hard for young people today to even imagine, I think, at least not that, not that they're so well-informed about the most important thing. They're a lot more informed than I was. <laughs> That's for in, sure. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no, as we are going to discover. You, um, you have to get out of there to be Lily. And I, I keep thinking about it. You're a gifted. You're a gifted dancer. You got talent. Got you out of there, didn't it? Which makes a great fairy tale. Most of us are not so blessed. But it's one thing to be talented. It's another thing to see your get your get your opportunities and take them. Wow! Tell us about that a little, would you? I mean, this is an incredible story, isn't it? Uh, well, you know, Mother Superior did hire a dance teacher to come into the orphanage, um, and she came once a month, which is not not really enough training to be a dancer. But I took to it right away. Um, I was destined, I was determined to go to the High School of Performing Arts. Um, she was a teacher at the High School of Performing Arts, but did not recommend me to go there. But I didn't want to listen. And so therefore I worked hard just to get to the audition. Uh, The nuns were not happy with me. They were like, you have to go to a school like Lady of Mercy or Cardinal Hayes or one of those type of schools. And I was like, I don't want to go there. I want to go performing arts. So I went to the audition and um, I didn't have any dance clothes or dance shoes or anything like that. Um, they asked, oh, oh, Cinderella, you went to the ball, but you didn't have the fairy godmother. <laughs> exactly. I didn't have the fairy. <laughs> I didn't want my fairy godmother to come because it was just so much to have it. So I was like, no, no, no. I did um, audition and they did ask um, how many years of training do you have? And I said, none. And they were kind of shocked at that because every little girl said, you know, I've had 10 years. They've been training since they were five years old. And I couldn't ima- I can't even imagine today if I had trained at five years old, how good I could have been. <laughs> but, um, but um, so I told them none. And then they, um, 
they were, I guess they were a little shocked that I came to an audition without any training and they accepted me. And the orphanage wasn't too pleased with that. Um, after I did a call back and, and an interview, then they accepted me and, and um, the orphanage did let me go. But my, um, they were restricted on the fact that as soon as I got out of school, I was to be on the grounds, on the orphanage grounds, 45 minutes after the bell rang. So I would dash out of there every day and get onto the train and get home so that they wouldn't take me out of the school. And um, and thank God I, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. I got rhythm. So thank God I, I, was, able <laughs> well, <laughs> but, I was able to uh, get through it. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You're in an orphanage. Now, give give the nuns credit. They are skeptical. But they let you go, didn't they? Give those very conservative, perhaps fearful women, uh, they saw, must have seen, I don't believe in miracles, but they did it, didn't they? They let you go. And and this would be astonishing to parents. Here's a girl who knows nothing about the outside world. And they let you go on the the number six train? To number mid- six, Pelham Parkway, Pelham Pelham Park. Which is not the wor- which is not the worst part of the Bronx, because I but because I I used to teach at um, at Truman, so I know a little bit about that that turf. But still, you're how old? You're um, how old when you get on that number six train? Fourteen, thirteen and a half. Yeah, and you don't see too many girls getting on the number six train headed north or south today, do you? No, no. no. And the nuns let you do that. They let me. They saw that I was just so determined to dance that they um, they let me go. They were like, "Okay, well." And and also, I, I never really caused any trouble in the orphanage. I wasn't one of those trouble kids that um, that you know beat up the nuns or smacked the nuns or anything like that. I was really, I was really a product of of the Catholic Church. Um, the Catholic Church. So they, but they gave they gave you and the once. This is a, an incredible story on the. On one hand, you're terribly confined, and then on the other hand, taking the six to Midtown and being exposed to men who are less than savory on the subway um, is a, quite a contrast to today's to the way that children live today, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, I realized um, the boy, the outside world was so different from the world that I was living in. And um, I, I, I couldn't understand how to navigate it. I couldn't navigate it. I was like, I just, I kept quiet most of the time. And I, um, I just watched and I listened to what was around me so that I would be able to um, be learned in what, um, what the outside world had to offer. They saved your life, the nuns? I, I, I would say so. I would say so. I would not have gotten to know uh, anything with dance outside of the orphanage. So I, I do believe that their teachings uh, did save me because I was able to use their teachings on the outside. Right. Let me ask you a tough question here, though. You said, oh, my goodness, if I had started at the age of five with a, with a showbiz mother and or a ballet-oriented mother, how much better I could have been. But were you, well, this is a supposition which historians shouldn't do. 
But was it precisely because you were such a rough kid out of the orphanage that they said, wow, there's something there that's different than if you have a backstage mom? Um, the, I don't, the nuns never came to see me dance. No, no. Any. But what I mean is it's just because that you were a Puerto Rican kid from the Bronx. Not that you knew you were a Puerto Rican kid from the Bronx. Well, you knew you were from the Bronx. But they, these people who are auditioning you say, wait a minute. The kid doesn't have ballet shoes, doesn't have tap shoes, as you later discovered. And it was precisely because, uh, well, you weren't from the ghetto, that's for sure. You were so different and your talent appeared so down to earth in a way that maybe maybe that was a help as some of their hindrance. I'm only playing around. But well, you're, you're probably you, right. But um, and raw talent is something to behold, isn't it? It's so exciting. It and I think, that, I think that's what they saw of you. Um, they never told me, but um, um, they, they let me stay. So that was, that was good enough for me. <laughs> now, I mean, by the time a high school kids are just dreaming, when you're in high school already, you're living, the, you're getting, my goodness, you're dancing with top people, aren't you? You're in the Latin cultural and cultural community in Midtown. Can mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about, I mean, you're a kid. How old are you? 16, 17? 14, 15. 14, 15. And who are you, yeah. who are you dancing with some famous people, aren't you? I am. I, you know, I was coming home. Uh, the only person that knew uh, that I lived in the orphanage when I was in high school, because I never told anybody besides the teachers, was Freddie Prince, who was my best friend at the time. And, you know, there was a notice on the board, you know, for the looking for Puerto Ricans for West Side Story at Lincoln Center. And um, I was coming back from lunch and he was And you living. figured you were Puerto Rican. I didn't know I was Puerto Rican. I know. That's what's so funny, but go ahead. And then he says to me, he says, Lil, they're looking for Puerto Ricans. And I went, oh, okay. And he goes, well, you're Puerto Rican. I, I said, I am. <laughs> he goes, you are. And I really, I was like, that was the first time that I heard Puerto Rican. And Freddie was only half Puerto Rican, right? Exactly. He yeah. was Hungarian. He was a Hungarian. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, he goes, let's go to the audition. So we went. I met Mother Superior let me out on a Saturday morning and I went and um, and we met up and we we danced together and we both got picked. And and that's when it started to hit me. Everybody that was in West Side Story at the time, they were all Puerto Ricans, all of them. And um, it was just I was like I was watching them and learning from watching them as to what to do. And um, and we uh, ended up doing after we did West Side Story, we did Bye Bye Birdie at Lincoln Center, and then we went on. He had a uh, the director had a nightclub act, and we went on to and he asked me to perform in the nightclub act, and we went on to do the Chateau Madrid and the El Corso in Alameda Room, and backing up stars such as Tito Puente and Celia Cruz and the big stars at the time. So it was pretty exciting, and and people. Kids, I mean, I would hate you, to be honest with you, if I were. No, I would. I would. Because she's doing, she, after all, you're at performing arts. You are living what people wanted. You are, as a kid, as a teenager, living the life that most of them could only dream about on a life that they would never realize, really, um, 
So, um, oh, I can feel the envy coming. <laughs> oh, where was, well, you, was you paid a price for that too, didn't you? On I the, did. I did. The, the other orphans in the orphanage were not quite pleased with the fact that, first of all, I was in Manhattan. Second of all, I was dancing. Um, the nuns did give me a few privileges to come home late at night. Um, I, he, they said, as long as you, um, come, when you come in, ring the convent bell, and I'd ring the convent bell, and, and you would hear the chimes go off. And I was like, oh, my God, it was so beautiful. And the nun would come down, and she'd let me in, and I'd go to my cottage. And then the girls were like, no, this is not. Why does she get to go out late and not? We can't. Um, so I paid a price with jealousy and envy and things like that. Um, I didn't blame them because I understood, but um, but the the nuns were um, they gave me my dream. And, they gave and me. just just a thought. I think they must have been terribly proud of you. Even um, they didn't tell you. I know they keep <laughs> they're repressed people, but. <laughs> They must have been, and it must have seemed like a miracle to them too, in some way, because you do learn about miracles. And yeah, I don't know if they, um, if they ever yeah. expected one of their orphans to become a dancer. I don't, I don't think that that's what they really wanted for me. They wanted me to go on to college and things like that, and um, and I was so adamant about dancing that they were like, "Okay, go ahead, go go do it," and I was the only one. That uh, that came out of there. Well, how about the kids in uh, performing arts? Uh, how how did how did they treat you? How did they react to you? Um, they didn't know anything. Oh, they, they didn't know. Me. No, they didn't know anything about me. I never said anything to anybody. I don't know why. I just never did. Um, the well, only you knew time... why because you're self protective, right? You, I, you're yeah. not a boast because if you started boasting. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I'm not like that. No, no. <laughs> um, I, I just did. I, I was. I noticed how different I was from them. Um, I, I noticed what my lifestyle was so different from them. I didn't think that they would understand anyway. Um, and I was just trying to survive most of the time. I was just trying to get through it and trying to learn more. And, and I didn't really care about the academics. I just wanted to dance. I wanted to make sure that that was what was I, I spent most of my time doing and training. Um, they, I, I, no one ever said anything to me. So um, I don't know how they felt or how, if they even knew, I don't think they even knew. Let's just talk about a subject of which I know nothing about, which is dance. What you told me that you're with these, these are terribly talented kids, well-trained. Oh, really well-trained. But, but what what was the difference between you and them as a dancer? And what kind of dancing are we talking about that could propel you to the, I hate to use the word, but it's true, the heights? Uh, <laughs> um, well, um, when I, my first ballet class, I walked in and out of the corner of my eye, I see this amazing dancer just twirling in the air and landing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm taking class with him. He was, they were all brilliant. They all had wonderful careers. I mean, wonderful, you know, training and on to career. This guy, his name is George La Pena. He ended up doing the movie for Nuriev as Nuriev. So <laughs> that's how wonderful he, how yeah. well trained he was. Um, 
they they let me just find find my way through it. They didn't really hassle me at performing arts at all. They just kept letting me um, just let me learn more and 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 grab and grasp what what it meant to be a dancer there. But I did a lot by watching. Could you have been a professional ballerina or ballet dancer? I could have been had that been my love, my dream. It, it it wasn't really my dream. My dream really was Broadway and jazz and 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 Radio City. That was really my dream. Um, I so I knew that the ballet had to. I had to have ballet in order to be able to accomplish that. But um, I didn't think that um, I started early enough to be a ballerina. When you go to a good, do you go to ballet? You ever watch it? Any? Is it? What do you think? What what goes through your head uh, in a good? Uh, Balanchine or or whatever, the beauty, the beauty of it, the beauty. Um, you know that's what you don't see in the inner cities a lot. You don't see the beauty. You don't see the beauty in the projects. You know, there's no beauty. But when when I saw the beauty and I was like, well, that's it's such a perfect world. You know the you know the dancer gets the 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 male lead and she marries him and they live happily ever. It's all of that type of story. And that's the part that I thought my world was so chaotic, so nothing worked that you go to a ballet or you go to a Radio City musical show and you see everything just works and it's perfect. And I longed for that perfect world. Well, you didn't get perfection, but you got there. But it did take a while, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it took a while. (laughs) It took a while. (laughs) but That's okay. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. That That's right. That's right. I, I want to talk, uh, there's so much to discuss here, but um, one of the one of the things is about becoming, a, becoming, are you Puerto Rican? Are you Latina? What do I call you, lady? And what do you want to be called? How do you think when you wake up? Uh, how, how did that, how did you become a Puerto Rican? <laughs> You know, um, just by blood, I think. Um, well, the food. Mother, you always like the food, right? Oh, I, okay. I, you give me the, not the beans, because I'm not really crazy on beans, but <laughs> give me that rice and that fried chicken and the totones and the platano maduro and the cafe con leche and all of that stuff. I love that food. To this day, you know, that is my my one meal that I would I would want, uh, but uh, my mother and father were Puerto Rican, and they were they are buried in Puerto Rico. So, um, and I do remember a lot of it before I went to the orphanage. Um, but you know, I I'm going to say I'm Latina because um, I traveled uh, Mexico and I lived in Mexico for a while, and I and I learned to speak the language in Mexico. So I. I have a lot of Mexican twang to my Spanish, so um, which will help you in New York today quite a bit. <laughs> correct, correct. So um, um, I am Puerto Rican Latina, uh, and sometimes I think you know because I feel that once the orphanage, once I got to the orphanage, my life changed. I was, I was American. I, w- I was white. What, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, there was no Latinos, you know, they, they didn't distinguish between any cultural backgrounds at all. So there was no Spanish, there was no food that way, or anything like that. So I kind of, sometimes I think I'm Latina-ish. 
<laughs> like Jewish, yeah, like Jewish, <laughs> to quote to quote a contemporary yes. politician. Uh, exactly. But, but what struck me, uh, well, so amazing story. You got a nice gig in Mexico, didn't you? Oh, uh, it was yeah, it was pretty nice. Um, um, you, and, you were a star there. I was. I I I got to do so many wonderful things. I did a movie and, uh, you know, a lot of television and a lot of nightclub and, and theater as well. And then, then I got to do my own show in a nightclub act. So I did, um, I had wonderful, you know, I had a wonderful experience in Mexico. And, sure. and, and, and it is there. What I liked best about it is how you learned the language how you learned who there's a kid from the Eden Wall projects who goes to Mexico City to discover that she's a Latina. I mean, I mean, there's a movie in itself, I think. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if, if we could just for a minute, because I'm I've taught a lot of his I guess we used to call them Hispanic kids in the Bronx myself before I became a college teacher. Um, there's a huge range of people who we call Latina, Latino, Hispanic. Do you have a sense of the different color? I mean, Argentinians, <laughs> Dominicans. But do you have a sense of the diff- any differences uh, amongst all the wonderful spectrum of uh, Hispanic, Spanish-speaking people we have in the city and the country? Do you have any feelings? You can, you can, and you can. Yeah, go ahead. There, def- there definitely is a difference. Um, you know, I, growing up, I did hear a lot that, you know, the Cubans hated the Puerto Ricans. And I was like, and I'm like, really? What? And I, you know, and that the Puerto Ricans were the lower class of, of the Latinos. You know, we weren't Spaniards. We didn't come from nobility and all of that kind of stuff that you hear. Uh, but I never understood that because we all spoke the same language. We we have a different dialect, but we all speak the same language. The words are basically the same. Um, so I didn't understand why that was. You know, I did have a boyfriend at one time that his, his family was Cuban, and they weren't too thrilled with, you know. <laughs> Marrying down, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, so that to me was very strange that, that there was differences within the Latino community because I, I find that, you know, we all are the same. We all really love the same things our culture is so wonderful it's so colorful and and the language is so beautiful that i didn't understand the differences and that, and that made you feel and it still makes you feel special in a, in a way that is separate so there is that how how about the question which you don't really address but there are a substantial number of Hispanic people who are black, uh, at least they escape. How, how, how did you encounter any of that? Because uh, um, there are distinctions that Hispanic people make among skin, in skin color, I think, yes. don't they? Yes. I mean, in the theater, um, when I first started, I was black. You know, they would push me aside. No, 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 you're too dark. And I'd be like, Okay, I said, and then now, uh, now I'm not black enough. So <laughs> I'm like, so you know, you're always too something in the theater. You know, you're too tall, too short, too white, too black, too you know, too something. And um, so I've experienced it on both ends. Like now, 
um, the work comes doesn't come as easy. Well, not that it ever came easy, but it doesn't come as much because they I don't look Hispanic. When I auditioned for In the Heights, you know, I had to I I make sure I speak Spanish so that they understand that I am Latina, and and I it's amazing that our skin color is what defines us now. And um, even I, even within and particularly within the Hispanic community, is that is that what you're saying? Correct. Correct. They, they don't they don't really see me as as Latina. They see me more as white. And um, I'm like, and, until I have to go and then and then I start to have to act that way. Give me my red lipstick, my hoop earrings and I'm ready. <laughs> you know, and the way I dance, too, is, is really it's it's really all Latina. So <laughs> let me get this is a when I, I read this book, uh, when I read it the second time, I I was the first time I read it is the Cinderella story. The second time I read it, it it was rather dark in some ways. This is a, you you got beat up a lot, and there's a lot of violence in this book. Actually, uh, painful as it is, and I I can see why a woman a woman in particular you got beat up by the by the girls and the nuns too. But my goodness. Men, it's amazing you love men, don't you? I do love men. <laughs> that came love- through too, but boy, <laughs> what you were—it uh, it brought. I think that the, I think things have gotten better, but w- what a what a thing for a young woman and an older woman to have to deal with that uh, on a regular basis. So you want to talk a little bit about that if you want, or just tell me, Jim, you're just another guy. <laughs> uh, well. I mean, you know, I getting beat up in the orphanage, you know, it was kind of like, okay, well, there's nothing I could do about it. You know, you know, at, at times I, you know, I, I would answer back and, and I thought, well, if I don't answer back, I'm going to get beat anyway. So, so I would, sometimes I would let it out, but, you know, so getting beat up was like just something I had to deal with all the time. So then when I left the, I couldn't leave the orphanage because I asked after getting beat up from uh, some of the girls because of jealousy and envy. And, and I understood that, um, um, I, I had to get out. I couldn't, my body was too bruised at that time and I wanted to get out. So um, I asked the nuns if I could have my walking papers, and that's when I, I found out that um, I could not leave. They said, you cannot leave. And I said, well, what about getting adopted or fostered? And I had waited for years because uh, couples came to the orphanage to adopt children, and I never got picked. And I was like, why am I not getting picked? But I just kept going about my business for 15 years. And then at the end, I asked the nuns, and they said, uh, your father rejected you to get adopted or fostered. So I was like, okay, so how do I get out of here? And they said, we can't let you out. We can't let you out until you're 21. And I'm like, oh no, that's not going to work. I was 17 and a half at the time and I really had to get out. She goes, well, if you get married, you can get out. And I was like, married? Really? Okay. I really didn't want to get married. I didn't know anything about marriage, so I didn't want to get married. But uh, one of the girls in the orphanage, her brother used to, you know, look at me all the time. Every time he would come to see her, he would look at me and he asked about me to her. And that's how this whole thing started. And he decided that he wanted to marry me. And I said, well, that would be a way for me to get out. 
So um, I don't think you were the first woman in human history to make that decision. Probably not, right? <laughs> Although I felt like I'm the only one that of made course. that decision at the time. Of course, you you get away through yeah. marriage. So the, the nuns were like, if you get married, then we will uh, we will release you. And I said, okay. So I had to get out. I was just so I was I was a senior in high school. I had to get out. So then finally, um, I got married to him and, um, I didn't realize what I was getting into. And then I ended up in a domestic abuse situation with him. And, um, you know, when, when there's a girl that's on the stage, especially in skimpy costumes, um, they tend to look at you on a totally different level than, um, than just the normal girl that dances, not uh, you're you're like this icon a lot to them to men, and they don't really see you as anything else but that icon, and they fall in love with that. They don't fall in love with you, and um, he didn't want anybody else to have me, and so he beat me. I don't know why he beat me. Why don't you beat somebody else? But why me? But he beat me on a consistent basis. And then I had to figure out a way to get out of that. And um, and then I knew and then one day he beat me and a neighbor came out and screamed, um, you know, you're going to kill her one day. And somehow that hit me. And I went, you know what? He is. If I don't get out of this, he's going to kill me. So one day I just snuck out and grabbed my dance bag, didn't take anything else, grabbed my dance clothes and took off and never went back. And that was, that was it. But you've experienced the, the, the irony, the irony of this story in some ways is, and you described it, this man who's terribly jealous and sees you as a sex object. And yet let's be honest. Um, you are you are presenting the kind of dancing you were doing. Men looked at you, and women looked at you too, as a beautiful object. Beautiful, and it is. Look, you are a beautiful object, but Thank you, you object, objectify men particularly. And so, on the one hand, you're beaten, and and abused, and it, it wasn't just there were guys feeling you up all the time, and t- terrible, right? We're only just confronting that now. But on the other hand, in some way, shape, or form, it's not just you, you're a talented dancer. You have a good body. Hmm? I know I'm speaking. It'll probably get me canceled, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm tenured, and now now I'm out to pasture anyway. But uh, it's but the body. You know what I mean? They're, they're, yeah. Oh. Yeah, they do. They see you as that sex object, and you don't think of yourself as that. No, just dancing and having. Yeah, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) And and you came, you came through it all. Um, A couple, couple more things. You're a talented person. Um, It and I think all along, though, you were willing to trade your talent and and your fame at times um, for a happy home that you, which you didn't have for a long time. And um, 
And you do, and you even got involved with that crazy dentist on the theory that you might have a happy home in Brooklyn. I thought I might. <laughs> you thought, well, we all hope for that, but you you did pull it off in the end. I I guess to the extent that one can pull off anything, it's not we're not living fairy tales. But it, it is remarkable that through all that, through the through the strains and tensions, that you were able to to keep your eye on that stability that you had never had before. And, and in spite of, in spite of the fame, because I can only imagine that the fame was a great distraction too, was it? Yes, it, it definitely, it definitely is because it's hard to build a, a stable foundation when you're traveling throughout the country and meeting different people. And, um, and then they don't see you as, um, as a mother or as a housewife, or they don't see you as that. You're not. You're not looked at as that. And and yet you manage somehow or other to keep that in mind all the way through, all the way through. And yet, and yet, it seems to me maybe what almost saved you as becoming just a housewife was a dance, wasn't it? It was always there, and it's always and, it's still to this day. And it, it now we haven't talked about the Rockettes at all, and <laughs> come to think of it, and we haven't talked about the Heights a little bit in the Heights and um, and well, Miranda and could you just say a little bit? I mean, you were a professional dancer for sixteen years, I think, as a Rockette, and they didn't. Can you tell what it is? I mean, my, I know my. I hope my granddaughters are listening or will. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't watch the Rockettes. I watched the faces of these little girls watching. Oh. What, a th- what a thing! What is it like to be a Rockette? And it doesn't get boring. I mean, what's the deal? Um, I mean, if you, I mean, I did up to six shows a day. I did three hundred kicks a show, up to six shows a day, up to thirty-three shows a week. Um, so it's it's not without a lot of work. That's for sure, but. To work at that level is so ex- exhilarating. To um, I mean, you know, you keep your mouth shut and you keep going. You don't, you don't, don't talk too much. Three thousand <laughs> um, people in the audience. Six thousand. Six thousand. Six thousand. Six thousand. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's um, it really was a dream come true. Um, I I felt like I was at the height of my career. Um, I didn't expect to go. I didn't go in there expecting to be the first Latina rocket. Um, in fact, I don't. They didn't see me as a, a Latina. Not that they weren't looking for Latinas or or blacks at that time. Um, I came in um, through pure talent, and um, and was a, and then the newspapers broke it out. I didn't even say anything. The newspapers came to me and they said um, we want to do a story on you in the orphanage and being a Latina. And I said, okay, let's do it. And Radio City was not happy with that. They did not like it at all. Um, they, uh, did not allow me to, uh, interview in the building. They, um, told me to go outside to the street to interview. They did not want any of the cameras, um, of the daily news, which was El Diario, um, and any of the Spanish stations in Radio City at that time. 
So my first interview I did, and if you see any of our interviews, we're always in costume. You never see us without a costume. But that interview was my first interview, and I did it in my street clothes on the street. And um, and then and then after years of pushing them to to accept the Latinos to bring in the I mean we have such a big community here in New York City and that they can join in and you can bring them in and help them and give them I, you know I I proposed a show in Spanish do the Christmas show in Spanish for the Latinos do a two for one so that they can afford to come and we worked it out and and we did do the show for 5 years in Spanish so I was I was happy but it took a long time to get them to accept the Latino thing in, in Radio City <laughs> And how about, I guess it's not the end, but you you do end up in the Heights, don't you, where you always wanted to live, looking at the GW Bridge. Oh, that's all I I said. I'm getting an apartment that overlooks <laughs> GW Bridge one day. It's some bridge. I, uh, I went to that audition. That It was an open call. And um, my husband's like, no, 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 you're not going to that audition. I said, oh, no, I'm going to that audition. It says 60, it says, what does it say? 20 to 65-year-olds. I went, I'm 64. I got, I'm in. And they went, he goes, no, 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 you can't go. And I went, no, 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 I'm going. I said, I don't care what you say. I'm going. So I did go and I was the oldest person in the room and I'm looking at everybody and, and I'm so intimidated by everybody at this point. I'm like, what am I doing here? They're not going to let me dance. They did let me dance and I got through to the end. And um, and then at the end, they asked each of us. You know, I said, I'm going to see, I'm going to meet Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm going to do it. So I got to the end and I got to the front and uh, they asked each of us our experience and what we had done. And and I, I kind of held off to the last person. And then they said, so Lillian, what have you done? And I, and I rattled off all my, my, uh, my resume. And then at the end, I said, I'm the first Latina Raquette. Well, the room went crazy. Everyone went was screaming. We want to be like you when we grow up. I was like, all right, wait a minute. Don't get crazy. <laughs> but we want to be like you. You've opened doors for us. And just accepting and loving. And I was like, please don't get fooled by my blonde hair um, because I do speak Spanish. <laughs> so then I started the Spanish and they were like, oh, my God, she really is Spanish. And they came over to me, the directors, and they were like, you are the reason we do this story because you are the one person that got out and did it. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. I wish I would have had one of those lead roles. I could have done one of those too. But I ended up, um, my first day of rehearsal was in Brooklyn at 7 a.m. And I walked in and there was nobody my age. And I was like, mm, something's wrong. Maybe I'm in the wrong room. So I went to the choreographer. I said, am I in the wrong room? And he said, no, that's the room. And I went, uh, are you sure? Because are you doing a senior citizens combination or what do you do? And he goes, no, 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 you're going to do that. I said, I am. I mean, I knew how to do it and I could do it, but I was just shocked that they wanted me to do it. So, um, I ended up staying all day in rehearsal and I noticed that some people knew the combination. I was like, why do they know it? And I don't know it. What's going on? And cause I pick up pretty quickly and um, they were like, uh, Oh, we came yesterday. I was like, Oh, 
So they had like already had a day of rehearsal. So they knew the combination. I came in on the second day. And then Lin-Manuel Miranda came in at, at the last moment at four o'clock to see us do it and introduce us to, you know, the, the main cast. And so um, I got to do it. And I was like, I can't even believe that I'm dancing in front of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And Anthony Ramos, who plays the lead, was there. And he just looked at me and looked at me because I dressed him in Radio City Musical when he was a, a, a singer dancer and I was working in wardrobe and I dressed him. So I knew him and he was like, you dance? And I said, yeah, I dance. That's what I really do. <laughs> I was just working that job just to make money and support my daughter. <laughs> That's it. So it was an amazing experience, but they didn't, um, they didn't cut me any slack. I had to do everything that uh, the 20 year olds did. And, you know, 14-hour days on the set outside in 90-degree weather with melting asphalt. You know how that goes. And doing double pirouettes on that, it was rough. It was rough, but it was so wonderful. And it was so wonderful to play Latina. <laughs> Lillian Colon, listen. You've taken us uh, from the Eaton Wald projects to the Heights. Great interview. I, I hope everyone reads your book and I hope they make it into the next In the Heights. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Urban Studies Network for new books in, in, um, on, in, for academics and for many other good people. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. <laughs>